This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. It's your host, Tim Link, and I'm so glad you're joining us today. Joining us for our show today, super excited, my good friend. She's a uh, New York Times bestselling author. You know her from the Mrs. Murphy Mysteries, which there are now 24 of those, which is fantastic. You know her from all of her uh, memoirs and everything that she does. Screenwriter extraordinaire, Emmy-nominated screenwriter. Of course, I'm talking about my good friend Rita Mae Brown. And Rita Mae is going to be joining us here in a minute, uh, talking to us about her latest novel, Crazy Like a Fox. So I'm ready to get into it with Rita, see what she has to say about the book, all of her fabulous writing, and who knows what else will come up in this conversation. So everybody, just hang tight. We're going to come back right after these commercial breaks. You're listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Hi, this is Tim Link, animal communicator and pet expert and host of Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Have you ever wanted to know what your pet is really thinking? Do you want to find out if they truly understand what you're trying to tell them? Ever wish you could build a better understanding and closer relationship with your pet? Well, now you can. Learning to communicate with animals is a four-part on-demand workshop. In the workshop, you'll learn the essential techniques that are necessary to communicate with animals, including what is animal communication, breathing correctly to achieve the perfect state to communicate with your animals at a deeper level, using guided meditation exercises and method to communicate with animals, and how to send and receive information from your animals. So if you're wanting to learn how to communicate and connect with your animals at a deeper level, visit PetLifeRadio.com forward slash workshop and purchase and download Learning to Communicate with Animals. You'll be glad you did. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Join us now is New York Times bestselling author Rita Mae Brown. Rita Mae, welcome back to the show. Well, Tim, it's good to hear your voice. Oh, uh, well, thank you. Thank you. Well, it's always great to hear your voice. I love catching up with you, finding out what's going on with the latest uh, work that you're doing and how you put it together. Then, of course, all the wonderful stuff we'll talk about that probably have nothing to do about the book. <laughs> <laughs> so how are things been? And tell us about the latest book, Crazy Like a Fox. Well, it has gone back for a reprint, which is, of course, a, a great happy moment in an author's life. I'm thrilled. And this is the 10th one. And it, it took a little longer for this to catch on because, of course, originally it just appealed to fox hunters, and then little by little, you know, the ripples began to go out from the center of the pond. But it starts with a ghost. So my publishers released it on Halloween, and I had so much fun writing this. I mean, sometimes you have fun writing, and sometimes you don't. You know that. Yes, and, yes. But this one, it just was a joy for me, and I was able to think about really, in a way, what people did for me back in in the 50s, because the character that's a ghost disappeared in 1954 and then shows up again. And shows up in modern times and when people least expect it. And he's the same age when he disappeared. He's 32. <laughs> so there's some big pluses to being a ghost. Well, I think so. <laughs> So what made this book particularly special? Is it because it's so close to your heart, the topic, you know the topic so well, or did you uncover some uh, tidbits that you'd sort of didn't know or forgot about? Well, I mean, I do know it well. I hunted in my mother's womb. I mean, it's such a part of my life. 
And, you know, and then when I went away to college and graduate school and started to work in New York and then L.A., I couldn't really do what's closest to my heart. And eventually I made enough that I could try. So I loved anything to do with fox hunting or beagling or basseting or any of those things. But what I liked about this was the ghost had affairs with, with women, married or not. And things were handled differently then. And the response, there were still people older. There's some characters in this book that are 80 that you've known all along the series who just would just as soon not discuss it. So many things were swept under the rug then. And of course, for a writer, that's perfect. It gives you more to work with. When people just come out with it, there's really no uh, subtlety or, you know, all those elegant little fibs we do to keep the social grease, to keep the wheels going. And so the, uh, the, without giving it away, what kind of mischief uh, should we expect out of this ghost? And how are the people uh, receiving all the, uh, the strange affairs and all the things going on? Well, there are three people still alive from when he was a huntsman. One of them he had an affair with, a very beautiful woman who's in her 90s, and she's still wonderfully looking. And she is a woman of color, but she's almost white. So, you know, that gave her certain advantages, whether rightly or wrongly, and she took advantage of it. I mean, she was no fool. And he shows up and he talks to her. He talks to the man who was younger than he was, who whipped into him, and that's a form of assistant. And then he goes to an old age home, and confronts the man who he feels betrayed him. And they all handle it very differently. The whipperin is speechless and terrified, even though he loved him and looked up to him. His ex-paramour is thrilled to see him. (laughs) It brought back a lot of happiness. And the man in the nursing home denies it, totally denies what he's done. I mean, still lying through his teeth. I thought that was interesting, for me anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so then tell us a little bit about some of the other characters who uh, the fans of the uh, of the series, who do we see uh, reappear? Who do we see some uh, new characters coming in in addition to uh, our ghost friend, of course? Well, there's a shocking subplot, which uh, very much in today's time, there's a beautiful young woman who's, I guess, 21 or 22. And she's Uh, She went to Princeton. She hunted with sister when she was at private school, and then she went to Princeton. And her father started a black entertainment network. And so he's worth millions upon millions. And he cannot understand why she would want to do anything remotely close to agriculture or country life. And he made this big fuss about, you know, black men should only marry black women, blah, blah, blah. Well, he cheats on his wife like mad, and she catches him. So she leaves him. She leaves him and comes to her daughter, to whom she's not really been close. So this whole mother-daughter thing starts to evolve. And also the unfortunate facing that you have been betrayed by your husband. And I don't think anybody particularly likes that, whether they're a husband or a wife. But he made such a public do about this, about not betraying her, but about race in terms of marriage. And then, you know, here he's carrying on with all these white women. And the wife is just furious, and she's going to take him for every penny he's got. But she helped build the business. So there's that going on. And the daughter has benefited from everything they worked for. So she really doesn't understand some of the issues that were so central to them. And that is what we're facing right now. The young don't know what the older people went through. Just like, you know, did I understand what they went through in World War II? No, that's just the way of the world. But the mother is trying to understand why the daughter left Princeton and came back to help hunt with a house. She just doesn't get it, but she starts to. And their relationship is dear to me 
and and, and that will evolve over you know the next couple of books. And of course, the father will show up naturally. He has his own jet plane. You know the type. <laughs> you know? Yes, uh, yes, of course, Rita. I live that life, of course. <laughs> well, no, I mean none of us have, but a lot of times those people are just brutally insensitive. Yes, yes. You're fantastic at doing this. You know, you do your research, you keep up on all the uh, latest, greatest uh, stuff going on in the world, whether we want to hear it or not. I know you do a great job with that. And I see the intertwining, how you take your characters of this book and some of the also blend it with some of the modern topics without saying that they're modern topics and then adding a little bit about that, the history component behind it. Well, Tim, that's very flattering to me, and thank you, because I do a lot of research and I care. But the thing that keeps coming back to me as a writer, and perhaps you, because of dealing with animals, you see a side of people that maybe others don't, their relationship to their animals. All of these isms that were being thrown in our face now, but it's the same stuff that people were talking about 60 years ago. I mean, they're using the pages from a playbook that's literally 60 years old. It's not as effective as it was 60 years ago. But it is almost a denial of the humanity of everyone. Is there anyone out there, I don't care, rich, poor, you fill in the blank, transgender, I don't care, who hasn't had their heart broken, mm-hmm. who hasn't sometimes worried, how in God's name am I going to pay the bills, or how am I going to get into this school, can I do it, you know, can I get a job when I'm out, can I live where I want to? The things that people think about, they get married, they find the right one, and then the children come, and can I pay the orthodontist? And can I get this child into a good school? Will I be a good parent? These are the things everybody faces and thinks of, unless they're a psychopath or a sociopath. And it seems to me we need to keep touching where we're in common, and we're not doing it. Yeah, it is funny. I mean, it's spot on what you're saying there because, you know, first of all, I think we go through the same cycles. Like you said, we all experience these things throughout our life. Our our parents did. We do. Our kids will do this. It'll be different in some areas. But I think the things that we experience just keep recycling over and over with maybe a different face to it. The difference, perhaps, is the fact that now we have the Internet, for instance. Everything's in your face. You you find out things that you don't want to know, whether you want to know them or not. And I think perhaps that's a little bit of the difference is the fact that uh, it wasn't as in your face or as easily accessible as it is today. Well, that's just, Tim, my God, young people show their parts on the Internet. I'm like, (laughs) what are you doing? You know, when you're 60 years old, your grandchildren are going to see this. Is that what you want? I mean, and when you're when you're 60, you want people to see your parts, but nobody wants to see them. But that's a whole different. And that's story. the truth. I mean, it is funny. I mean, I look at some of this stuff, and I think, well, you know, I know I'm old. Yes. <laughs> I, I'm on the other side of this one. But yeah. the, the one thing that does worry me that I wish I could say to young people is be careful, because if you go to get a job, your employer can find out. Anything he or she needs to know about you. Do you want somebody to see this? Absolutely. You need to stop and think before you post or before you say something. Or, uh, yeah, you're absolutely correct. I mean, I see this all the time. I even sound like the old, uh, you know, the old father figure to some of my <laughs> friends and colleagues because they'll post something that I think, wow, you know, whether you agree with it or not, whether it's political or whether it's social or whether it's personal, you may or may not agree with what they're they're saying or they're posting. But do you really want it out there? Because someone will take offense to that, and that someone may be your new. 
employer or your new person you you hope to be your spouse or your your future mother-in-law or whatever it may be it gets out there and um that's why i tell people that you know it's okay to speak up it's okay to give your opinion don't be so opinionated you can't take on uh, other thoughts or other opinions step outside that box but you may want to be a little careful on how you say it and, and where you post it at and that doesn't seem to yeah that's when i get called old and they move on and forget what i just said <laughs> well you know you, you just brought up something that makes me have hope we had a dreadful election for the House of Delegates in Prince William County, which is north of me by about, oh, I would say maybe 60 miles. And it's rich because it's close to Washington. And there was a right-wing Republican running against a very beautiful young transgender woman. And he unfortunately attacked her, would not call her, you know, called her him and started the bathroom discussions and just really ugly stuff, ugly personal stuff. Not about the economy, you know, not about the things I really care about. And she won by uh, almost two thirds. And the media said, you know, Donica, now that you've won the election, how do you feel about so-and-so? I don't even want to say his name. And she says, well, you know, January 1st, I become the delegate of Prince William County and I respect all my constituents. Yeah, isn't that something? Isn't that something? Yeah. Obviously, everybody's heard of that election, and that's a, uh, a proud moment. Somebody took a, a high road and you know basically campaigned on the issues, and then they turned around, like you said, you know, despite what you say about me and all the mudslinging you did, I'm here to represent. So, uh, a big, big kudos there. Well, she's young, and it gives me hope. Maybe some other young people will just turn away from this ugliness. Which doesn't get anything done anyway. I mean, maybe we should be thrilled that they're paralyzed. I mean, you know what Benjamin Franklin said. He said, no man's life or liberty is safe when Congress is in session. So, I mean, <laughs> maybe he was on to it before we were. But uh, yeah, yeah, sometimes I wonder, does anything ever really change? Yeah, yeah, and I, and I don't think it does. I think the names change, the faces change, and how it's presented, perhaps. But uh, yeah, I think uh, that's why it's important to do your research, learn your history, and try to learn something from them. Well, and keep your sense of humor because you're going to need it. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, listen, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll come back and have our continue our chat with uh, Rita Mae Brown, talk a little bit more about the book Crazy Like a Fox, also talk about what's around the corner, what's it, what to expect, what should we be expecting in the world today and, and her uh, writing. So everybody just hang tight. Uh, we'll come back at this commercial break. So you're listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Get the stinky dog away from me. Bad breath and bad gas. Petey stopped eating. All his hair fell out. Itching, licking, missing fur. At least $5,000 in vet bill. Creams, antibiotics, sprays. No results. Everything we tried failed except the Dynavite. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. If you want the dog to be healthy, you got to feed it something healthy. The omega-3 fatty acids. Flaxseed, zinc, alfalfa. The digestive enzymes that are cooked out of regular dog food. Dynavite is nutrition. The shedding is stopped and the itching is stopped. Her coat is not soft, it's silky, it's healthy and shiny and glossy. She's got life, she's got energy. Tons of energy, no more bad smell. Dynavite's the bomb. <gasps> 
Dynavite is the best thing that's ever happened to my dogs, you know, besides me, of course. <laughs> 859-428-1000. 859-428-1000. Dynavite for life. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E oh. dot com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs> Welcome back. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Continue our conversation with our good friend and New York Times bestselling author, Rita Mae Brown. Now, Rita, when uh, people pick up a copy of Crazy Like a Fox and they read through it, afterwards, you know, what do you expect them to, to learn from it? What do you expect them to get from them? What are you hoping to accomplish and get them continue to think till the next book comes out? I hope they walk away with new respect for other sentient creatures, whether it's a domesticated dog or whether it's a wild animal like a fox or a deer. All of these creatures can think they have logic. They know who we are. They understand us as a species far better than we understand ourselves. And maybe a little humility is in order, and maybe they might be encouraged to learn from these other animals. And I hope they look at the environment with a more critical eye and realize that if we don't protect it, it's not going to be here. And I think that's one of the great gifts fox hunters can give the country. And they don't know much about us. It's a small sport, and it was always a very quiet sport, and we've got to get better at saying what we do. But you can't be out there and not see how things fit together, how the soil matters, the water matters, the cleanness of the water matters, not just to us, but to every animal out there. And the cycle of animals, how they relate to one another, as well as how they relate to us, it's just fascinating. Yeah, and I think it's a great point. I mean, how do you feel about that nowadays as far as the uh, the millennials and the young younger folks go? Is, do you think they have a good understanding of that? Do you think that us older folks, we'll say, have done a good job teaching the importance of uh, sentient beings and the environment and uh, what's going on with, with that and how they can help out? Well, I think people like Jane Goodall helped. I mean, opened a door. I think many people did a terrific job. But the millennials are very environmentally conscious. The difficulty for them is they didn't grow up in the country. They're almost all urban children or suburban children, you know, now young adults. And so they sometimes get these ideas or are misled by certain groups and they become unrealistic. And I know they want to live in cities and I know that's very exciting to them. I also know that's where the jobs are. Mm -hmm. But boy, if they could just get out, even on a weekend, and just sit quietly and watch or take a walk, I think they would have a renewed appreciation for the reality of animal life. You know, for, for instance, many people are against deer hunting. We have an overflow of deers. They're running into cars. Uh, they're, we need to husband them. I'm not big on blood sports, but if they are called, nobody's going to starve because their teeth don't last long. You know, if they outlive their teeth, they starve. Things like this, they don't know. They just see a beautiful animal and think it's terrible if somebody shoots them. Well, it's not terrible if they need the meat. Very interesting. Yes. And I think that's a bit, you know, a big question that goes about here. I mean, obviously, I'm not a hunter. I'm a pro animals. But there is that other side to it, the fact that, you know, some do hunt it for not just necessarily sport, but for uh, food and still some for livelihood. I mean, I know uh, even some of my relatives do this as that's their food. That's their meat source for the winter months. Well, Tim... When species get out of balance, we have difficulties. And you, know, and you can see it with plants like this 
whatever it is, that beautiful purple plant that has taken over so many waterways in upstate New York and places like that. I don't know if it's called purple loose strife, but it's something like that. When things get out of whack, there are difficulties. And the white-tailed deer is out of whack. For instance, here in Virginia, hunters for the hungry donated 88,000 pounds of meat last year to those who don't have enough food. Now, hopefully, we will get things in balance and maybe there won't be so many deer going through people's windshields and stuff like that. And we'll be able to manage things that we've let go because suburban people don't want people shooting around them. I understand that. I do. But on the other hand, we have to look at damage on a lot of levels. The same with rabies. There is always a pool of rabies in wildlife. And there's no commitment in the government to end it. And we can. There are now oral vaccines. If the forestry department or the wildlife department or somebody would make a commitment, we could pretty well stop the rabies cycles in our country. And there's no commitment at all to doing that. And it just leads to terrible suffering. And it's all unnecessary. And do you think that's a matter of uh, just uh, ignorance, not realizing that it can be done? Or is it a money type situation? Or is it big pharmaceutical? I think it's money. Yeah. I think it's really money. You know, states are struggling with their budgets, and unlike the federal government, they can't print more money. They actually have to come up with solutions to the problems. And most states are struggling on some level, and they just would not take the money to do this. I mean, a lot of them are having difficulties even with their school system and their roads. So I do understand, but I think if we're wise, maybe we can get to it. Maybe we can get to it in the next 10 years because maybe we will make better decisions with our state governments that don't throw our money away on wasteful things. I mean, who wastes more than the federal government? It's almost a joke, except it's your money and mine <laughs> and your listeners. I mean, we're, we are paying for not just other people's pleasures, but for desperate irresponsibility. I would just be thrilled with unobtrusive competence. <laughs> Not to get too political, but I don't ever think I've heard the word federal government incompetence in the same sense. But but there are money problems, and of course they impact animals. It's not just us. I mean, we can be dangerous to many species other than ourselves as well as helpful. I would prefer we be helpful because this world is absolutely fabulous and beautiful. Just sit and watch swans on the water or ducks land on the water. Or a deer as he grows his antlers, you know, and he gets more points every year. It's just a fabulous thing. And, of course, the fox is the smartest of all of us. They're smarter than we are. And people say, oh, you're making that up. You're making that up. No, I'm not. (laughs) They really are smarter than we are. And thus crazy like a fox, right? Well, yes. I mean, some interesting things happen at the end at the fox that lives in the stable, who is no dummy and is witness to a rather... Disturbing scene, shall we say. And you think of stuff like that. They know we're killers. I mean, I don't know how else to put it. We are. We kill them, we kill many things, and we kill one another. Whatever there is in us, there is some sort of little engine of violence that doesn't seem to turn off. I mean, when you think of, what, over 60 million people died in World War II? Can you imagine animals doing something like that? Mm. I mean, I think that's one of the things that propels me into these books trying to make animals available to people in the sense that they speak English and of course they understand English but they don't speak it but in the books they do and I keep thinking we've made a wrong turn somewhere they haven't they're still true to themselves 
Absolutely, absolutely. Well, let's touch upon that real quick. I talked about earlier about your your wonderful research that you do and your uh, knowledge of history and how you absorb that in. How do you tackle a book? You're sitting down to write crazy like a fox. You're trying to make it entertaining, trying to make it relatable, something where people can escape from their own conscious world for a while, but yet they can learn from it and they can blend in that history and that knowledge and the current events that you always weave in so eloquently into your books. How do you go about doing that? Is it a natural flow or is it a uh, gift that you have or how do you go about doing that as an author? You know, I'm very fortunate. I have a deep foundation in Greek and Latin because I was a double major, English and classics. So I don't really have to worry. I mean, my foundation is so deep, my house is not going to fall down. So I just sit down and do it. I mean, I don't even make an outline. It's just there. But if there's something I do not know intimately, let's say like the Hartford Convention in 1814, I will study it. I will go try to learn what I can. Or if I'm maybe not clear about the life cycle of a raccoon, I will go study it. And we have a Virginia Wildlife Federation here, which is just over the mountains for me that's extraordinary. Founded and run by a man named Ed Clark, who goes all over the world giving speeches. Um, he was invited to Russia. He goes to South Africa. You name it, he's gone about their wildlife and what they can do. And he happens to be a member of my hunt club. And if I run into a wall, that's the first person I'm going to call because he's, he is extraordinary. And God bless him what he's done. And I hope every state has something like this or somebody like Ed because they teach the rest of us where the things I'll do that might seem odd to you, like I try to get from the uh, Department of Transportation the maps of the roads and the roads that they intend to build because a lot of times that will tell you what's going to happen next, just stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I, I think just even from a non-writer standpoint, uh, you know, that's pretty impressive because uh, I think most of us out here we don't know what's going on with our uh, what we call here in Georgia the, our splost money, which is our <laughs> road work money. We vote, say, okay, yeah, well, I'll give another penny tax for my road system. We have a clue unless we keep up on matters where the next road is and how it's going to impact us. And you know, wow, they spent the money in this area. Why didn't they spend it in my neighborhood? Um, well, you, well, look where you live. I mean, you live in Atlanta, and God bless Maynard Jackson, Andrew Young, and Mr. Hartsfield. I mean, those were the people that made Atlanta what Atlanta is today. But I don't think any of them could have anticipated the explosion of growth and the need for roads and housing and all this kind of stuff. I mean, when I was a kid, Atlanta was, well, shall we say, a bit sleepy. <laughs> and now, I mean, it is one of the most vibrant cities in the U.S., and you've got wildlife living inside Atlanta. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's not uncommon for you to see uh, one of the biggest parks here in the uh, downtown area, Piedmont Park, uh, see fox and see um, coyote come through there and deer. And uh, even in the suburbs, uh, you know, we see a plethora. It's not uncommon. And we were walking the dogs the other day and in one of the local parks. And there's a nice, nice grassy field area with uh, tall, wild grass that comes up about hip high. And I'm like, you know, that would be a great place for not only deer, but that's where coyotes would hang out too. And lo and behold, right there in the mud, I saw the uh, canine footprints. I'll be darned. Uh, yeah. So they're they're living in the burbs, too. <laughs> the animals are living are. large in the burbs. <laughs> I mean, the explosion of Atlanta has certainly given them a large food supply. <laughs> you know? But every time I'm in Atlanta, I'm just dazzled. I cannot believe what it is when, you know, from my youth 
to what it is now, and it's, it is just exciting as hell. But again, it creates, it can create problems with other animals, and I know most people want to be fair about it, but some people are terrified of wildlife. I mean, if they see a squirrel, they're just, you know, and if it's a flying squirrel, they're doubly terrified. And we just need to do a little better education here, I think. Well, that's it. And I think it goes back to your point earlier, too, that younger generation isn't exposed to that. You know, uh, they're lucky to go to whether you like zoos, aquariums, these sanctuaries, if you like those or, or not. I think they serve a purpose, but if done right. But that's their wildlife. You know, going to the world's largest aquarium in Atlanta, Georgia, that's their touch with wildlife, which is fine. But let alone, you know, some of the youth going to actually uh, to do some deep sea adventures or to learn, go to ecological camps, these type of things. They're just not exposed to it. So I think it's harder for them to gain an appreciation, especially for wildlife. Well, you're right. And the children that come from the middle classes or upper classes, they've got camp. They've got summer camp. And they can go there and learn things, whether it's a dude ranch out in Sheridan, Wyoming, or whether it's a camp up in the Appalachians of of Georgia. They have more opportunities. The kids that are trapped in the city all summer, how are they ever going to learn? And I think maybe one of the wonderful things that might happen in the future is that the state makes it easier for them to get out. Yeah, I would agree with that. Well, you know, and, that, and that's an interesting point. I don't want to get, once again, too political on this, but, you know, I get questioned a lot. I do a lot of uh, work with uh, wildlife sanctuaries, zoos, and aquariums, and, uh, you know, I'll get rebuttal from time to time saying, how can you support that? You know, these animals should be free. They should be out and about. And, uh, you know, of course, I have to educate them a little bit that some of these animals have never been in the wild. Some of these animals have been sick or injured and can't fend for themselves, so they can't go back. And then the biggest thing is the education educational aspect. If done right and those animals are treated properly, then there's the educational aspect. So the you know the inner city kids, the youth, can be part of that. They can see that. They can learn from that. It should be a teaching opportunity for them. Uh, opportunities that, uh, like you said, they would never have that opportunity if it wasn't for some of these types of organizations and uh, locations that help the animals. Well, and those kids love animals. You know, they want to learn. They do. And it's fun to watch. But we have a lot of work to do. And, I mean, everybody does. It's, it's not just those of us that care about animals. The, the point is to get respect for the environment and protection so that not everything is going to be covered in concrete, like that great Joni Mitchell song, you know, they, they found paradise and paved it. <laughs> um, you know, we, we've got to be vigilant. But at the same time, we have to accommodate. I mean, for, let me give you an example. 400,000 people are expected to move into Richmond in the next 10 years. And right now, Richmond is the third city for number of millennials who live in it. Boston's number one. But Richmond, and you wouldn't think of it. No. But we have to find good housing for them and hopefully not build over our soil. We have very productive soil in Virginia. Not like Iowa, not like southeastern Pennsylvania, but it's pretty darn good. You've got to feed people, so you don't want to build on it. But on the other hand, where are we going to put them? And this has become a real football. So far, it hasn't been so much a political football as because it won't because they're not here yet. They're just beginning to trickle in. What can we do to make their experience wonderful but not to stress the environment? You know, it's not so easy to figure this out. I don't have, I don't have a real answer. I just have lots of questions. And it isn't just me. It's everywhere. I mean, you said you lived in Indianapolis. It's got to be there, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, it's uh, when I was growing up, 
Indianapolis was uh, called Nap Town. Nap Town, because the only thing you could do there that was productive was take a nap. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and now look at it. I mean, it's a, a blossoming city. There's so much to do. There's so much, uh, you know, it's a nice mid-sized metropolis is what I call it. It's got everything you want. But it expands out. You know, the last time, I will admit it, I, I hadn't... Um, I hadn't been home for about four or five years when the latest book came out, and I went back to Indianapolis for the book tour, and I, I stopped in my hometown, which is Richmond, Indiana, and uh, did a uh, signing and uh, threw out the pitch for the minor league baseball team and did that oh, little cool. thing. Right? And then I drove into Indianapolis that night, and I went to an area that I used to live in and knew like the back of my hands. And admittedly, I got lost for a moment. <laughs> I had no idea where I was. The road systems had changed. The little um, natural spring well that was always off to the side of the road and one of the main strips, it had been moved back to five miles. Well, actually, the road had moved in five miles. So the, <laughs> you had to actually park and get out of your car, walk five miles to get to the uh, this natural well, this natural water uh, source that used to be on the side of the road i used to pass every single day oh wow so it, it's changed and it's grown and you know the um even the cornfields you know we used to say there was a uh, carmel by the sea and in indianapolis <laughs> it was carmel by the corn uh, carmel <laughs> indiana and uh those cornfields are no longer there they're gone you know because it's just uh the city has grown and expanded and the, not only the suburbs but the uh businesses as well have gone there which is great for the city i mean i no doubt but i'm sure it's meant uh a really taking a toll on the environment as well as the wildlife in that area. Well, it sure can be disruptive. And unfortunately, a lot of these developers really don't care about the water table or things like that. And I suspect that's where we're going to have to push back and say, look, you know, there's got to be responsible building here. And you don't build a house that's going to start falling apart in seven years. Mm -hmm. Just stuff. I mean, we, we have a lot of work to do. I know that. But every generation has a lot of work to do. I'm not complaining at all. I just want to protect what we have. I do. And I, for years, I worked for people. And then one day I realized they don't care. I mean, people don't turn around and say, gee, you did a good job. But you know what? An animal always does. <laughs> Very good. Thank so you. we. Yep, we should live an animal's life. I always tell people that always live a dog's life is a, is a good way to look at it. And uh, so definitely so. Well, Rita Mae, tell us uh, where people can find out about uh, you, what's going on, your writing, any appearances that you have. How's the best way to keep track of all your activities? Well, I don't have a computer, so I'm useless. But I think my publisher has a site, a website for me. So if you yes. go to Random House, you can find me if you type my name in. I hope so, anyway. I've never seen it. I've never seen any of this stuff. <laughs> you know, if I did, I'd never write. I'd be looking at this stuff all the time. Oh, so yes. I, want, I pretty well live in the 18th century with the difference that I have modern medicine and electricity. But I do it the old way. <laughs> That's but right. I'm going to be, and I'm excited about this, I'll be at the Kentucky Book Fair, which has moved to Lexington, Kentucky, which is a city I know very well. Any Virginian can live in Kentucky. I mean, we're kissing cousins, really. Yeah. Well, Kentucky used to be Virginia. At any rate, it's wonderful. And Kentucky has made a real commitment to the arts, which is, it's a marvelous surprise. It's, this is another state that is changing dramatically. Louisville, Lexington, even Danville, because Kentucky basically was tobacco, coal, and horses. That was it. And very poor state and areas. And of course, the old coal country is still very poor. But boy, there's leadership there. They had a governor, Stephen Brashears, who's, who's retired now. I mean, there was commitment to the arts. There was commitment to 
preserving what's beautiful about Kentucky, and of course, promoting the horse industry, which is a great part of their economy. But it's, it's exciting for me to be there. I have a lot of friends, and there's some great hunt clubs there, which matter to me anyway, and just super people. Just, you know, I mean, but that's, I think that's true throughout the South. You can sit down next to anyone, and the next thing you know, you're just blabbing away. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And I agree with you on Kentucky. So everybody take uh, catch Rita May when she's uh, in Lexington uh, for the uh, the book festival there. Yeah, Kentucky's a great place. You forgot one thing about Kentucky, and I can say this because that's where my uh, my folks and my uh, 13 aunts and uncles and cousins and hundreds of cousins live. Uh, moonshine, yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, grandpaps made a, a nice living on the shine. Legally, of course, if in any revenuers are listening to the show tonight. <laughs> well, you know, I'm pretty impressed, but I didn't bring it up because my county, Nelson County, is famous for the same thing. But we, of course, being Virginians, gild the lily and call it country waters. Ah, there you go. <laughs> but, you, know, you can't be Southern without it. That's right. You can't. You can't. Yeah, right up the road, we have a uh, moonshine festival uh, every year, <laughs> and uh, yeah, they embrace it, and, and they can actually buy legalized uh, moonshine in Georgia now, so it's... Uh, but that know, takes whatever. the fun out of it's it. A, it does take the whole fun out of it. It's sort of like the days when uh, they're not a sponsor of the show, but I remember when uh, Coors Beer used to be only uh, available west of the... Because uh, they brewed it cold, it was only available west of the Mississippi, and uh, the old uh, Smoky and the bandit thing when he trucked it across the state lines uh, into Georgia. If you remember back you to know, what I remember about Coors is they were just so anti-gay. I mean, they <laughs> were miserable. I mean, then they came around. They did. But, you know, there was this whole thing back in the 70s and 80s where gay people just refused to drink Coors because they were not very hospitable. <laughs> but everybody gets over this stuff. I mean, we all grow up one way or the other. I don't think you always have to like perhaps the way somebody else lives. But, you know, it's a big country. There's all kinds of people. Let's just give everybody room. I mean, it's like demonizing cigarettes. Do I want somebody to smoke? Well, no, I don't. I don't want to see them damage themselves. But you know what? I am not in a repetitive, boring job. I'm not under the kind of stress some people are. And if that little hit of nicotine makes you feel better, who the hell am I to criticize you? Yeah, I've learned uh, not to, uh, you know, when possible, never criticize because there's always going to be something that's uh, going to come back to haunt you, like we said, like posting on the internet. And uh, also, when we, uh, you know, we touched upon earlier that great common denominator when we, uh, first of all, talk about animals, you know, you can have, uh, you know, a total different political, social, religious, whatever difference with your neighbor. But boy, if you both have golden retrievers, you're set. <laughs> you're good. It's true. It's true. But, you know, I should say something about criticizing. You can't be criticizing somebody in Virginia because, my God, we're all related. (laughs) I mean, you can get into big trouble. That's right. You could be criticizing your aunt or your cousin. You just never know. No, Uh, you don't. And, and, I mean, when I look at some of the people I'm related to by blood – I don't want people to know. <laughs> yes, exactly. There's you only know? so much of that uh, history when you go back to do Ancestor.com or whatever it is. Yeah, you stop at a certain point. You just don't want to know anymore. <laughs> uh, well, you with the 13 ants or whatever, I mean, people say, oh, yes, blood is thicker than 
water, and I say, you bet it is. You can choke on it. <laughs> you can. You you can. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it's funny because I, you know, I used to laugh because my, me and my dad was one of thirteen children, and uh, you know, dad, my grandfather, he worked the farm. You know, he raised corn and did shine, and then the off season, he had kids, and those kids would work the farm or cut the forest down or whatever it may be. And uh, yeah, most of them, unfortunately, I only have two sisters, but because I think because my dad and a, a few of his brothers went up to Indiana, but everybody else stayed in Kentucky. I will say, probably had a about 10 more youngins and uh, <laughs> yeah yeah I used to laugh my we'd go down to these family reunions every year my mom would start chatting it up with somebody and I you know afterwards say mom who is that and she'd always say oh you know who that is that's your aunt Bessie's cousins and I no mom, I have no clue I've got you know over 100 cousins I have no idea oh somebody, my god good thing I'm not rich because a cousin could show up and say hey <laughs> and I'd say sure take some money because I have no idea if you're my cousin or not. <laughs> But, you know, that's another thing that's very, very Southern. And I think it's, it also applies to certain other groups like Italians. You have to take care of your family. Mm-hmm. I mean, even if you can't stand them. <laughs> I mean, it's just drummed into us. You take care of your own. They don't say family. They say you take care of your own. And, uh, you know, it kind of gets in there, you know, and you, you look around and you think, oh, dear, this is not a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather take care of my cat and dog things. Yeah, you exactly. know, I mean, at least we can laugh about it. I mean, it, that, that's again one of the wonderful things about Americans have a terrific sense of humor. Most of them. Yeah. And uh, looking at the present political environment, we would have to. And, and I'll just leave it at that. So, <laughs> well, you know, I used to warm up audiences by telling political jokes, but I can't do it now because too many of them get elected. <laughs> Come back to <laughs> <laughs> That's too funny. All right. Well, listen, everybody, pick up a copy of the book. It's Rita Mae Brown's latest, greatest, Crazy Like a Fox. You're definitely going to enjoy it. It's uh, so much fun and learn some lessons from it as well. If you're in the Lexington area, make sure you check Rita Mae out. It's always a, a educational and a hoot to see uh, Rita Mae in person. My friend, it's so great to talk to you. Have a great upcoming holiday season, and I'll look forward to chatting with you again real soon. You too. It's good to hear you as always. Thank you. Well, we're coming to the end of the show today. I want to thank everyone for listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. I want to thank our producers and sponsors for making this show possible. If you have any questions, comments, ideas, people you want to hear from the show, you can definitely check us out at PetLifeRadio.com and send us in your questions, and we'll try to bring on the people you want to hear from most. So until next time, write a great story about the animals in your life. Put it in a blog, a post, an article, or in a book, and... Who knows? You may be the next guest on Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Everybody have a great day. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.